You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. My name is Rick Kleffel, and we're speaking with Jeff Ayers. He's the manager of Forbidden Planet in New York. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Jeff, tell me a little bit about the history of Forbidden Planet in New York. I believe the original store was from London. What made somebody decide to open a branch in New York? Uh, well, there's a, I mean, there was always a big market for comics in New York uh, that just wasn't, you know, being being attended uh, to. You know, there was the traditional. You know the soda shop place and the candy store where I bought my comics when I was a kid, but um, the Forbidden Planet guys really uh, were instrumental in opening up a, a what they call a direct market of comic books in New York City, and in the U- uh, U.S. in general. So um, that's uh, that was burgeoning in the early '80s, and so Forbidden Planet really started a New York store to, you know, just kind of provide that uh, to its customers and you know start a business based around that model. Can you tell me about how has the business served you? Now, you guys also sell books, I presume. Yeah, actually, when it opened, the New York City op- uh, City store opened up. Uh, in particular, it was, it was very much the, what the moniker of the store described, which was the science fiction megastore. So you had uh, mostly about half the store was science fiction books and or related toys. I mean, comics were not as big, but you know, it was a very much a focus on science fiction and fantasy and horror genre material. Now, uh, most bookstores these days are not doing too well. How is Forbidden Planet doing? Um, I would say we're doing fantastic. I mean, uh, the the best part about Forbidden Planet has always been able to roll with the punches, you know? So in the late 90s, they opened up a gigantic Barnes Noble uh, four blocks away from us, and Forbidden Planet was still able to keep its customer base because a couple different reasons. But, you know, no matter how many different mass market outlets there are for uh, genre they don't really know what they're doing. And you know, there's always there's um, there's always somebody there that that's a good buyer or a good you know good uh, employee. But like as a as a whole entity, they're just trying to just put as much stuff on the shelves that they think will hit, and they just don't know what they don't have to focus. You know. And you guys, one of the things that I've found when I've been talking to uh, bookstores, especially the uh, specialty bookstores, is the focus on the employees. Could you tell me about uh, how you find, attract, keep, and develop employees who have the knowledge base necessary to sell the kind of material you have? You know, it's funny is that you mentioned that is that I'm in a difficult transaction with that because I, uh, for myself, I was seeking uh, Forbidden Planet out. You know, I grew up, <laughs> I grew up shopping here. And I, you know, I had nothing to do with myself kind of after high school besides, you know, maybe go to school, which I didn't really want to do any more of. Um, so I, I, you know, I kind of tricked Forbidden Planet into hiring me. Um, but these days, you know, it's hard. It's, well, okay, it's easy for me to say that what you need as a, as a specialty shop is a specialty uh, employee or employee base. One, but one that's also customer service oriented. You know, anybody can just know the stuff and not share it with people. You know, you need people to be enthusiastic about the stuff. Now, that's 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 rare. I mean, that's very hard to find. You know, um, so how do we go about that? You know, I sift through hundreds of resumes whenever we're hiring, and I'm looking for something a bit more substantial than I like the stuff. You know, 
Because whatever, when, uh, invariably, when I do an interview with that person, they don't know the stuff. There's a difference. So I think it always comes down to sifting through people who actually know the stuff and then seeing who's got customer service uh, experience, who knows how to deal with people, how to sell somebody on, you know, more than just like a dune, you know? Mm-hmm. Somebody who can speak more about the genre than just, you know, Frank Herbert wrote Dune. That is all. <laughs> yes. And, Developing that is uh, is another thing because you know in, enthusiasm is infectious. So if I'm you know uh, I've noticed that in here if I get on the floor and I stand by the sci-fi section and I start spewing out something to a customer, nine times out of ten if a staff member's around they'll 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 do the same. And I've it's it's you know they use the same words I just used. And sometimes that's good, but I'd rather them know those words, you know, mm-hmm. and experience that and actually go home and read the book and not just you know spew out what, what, the, what the manager says. Well, I'm one of those person, people who, when I'm standing around the bookstore and somebody's hovering around the science fiction shelves, I'm saying, oh, wow, you know, have you read Neil Asher? You need to go read Neil Asher. <laughs> yeah, and because, the, you know, that's the, the best thing about genre, this, this particular genre, um, is that it, it ha- it's a communicative one. You know, it's people, people get themselves hyped up enough to tell the next person. You know, it's very much a grassroots kind of thing. You know, you don't find that in, uh, I don't know, Non-fiction hardcovers. We do find that on NPR and on, uh, on on the TV and on the radio and on Sunday morning, but it's nothing like, you know, it's nothing as culty as as uh, as science fiction is, as fervent that becomes like a religion. Now it sounds like you guys. In fact, it's absolutely clear that you've taken a turn more towards the uh, comics and manga side. Tell me how that happened and how is that working out for you financially? Uh, that's developed over the last couple of years. I mean, I was always very proud that when I started working, I started working there in 1995. And uh, Forbidden Planet had almost you know, teetered on the brink of oblivion because of the downfall of comics in the mid-90s, late-90s, early-90s, 90s. The, uh, upswing and then eventual freefall downwards uh, in terms of comics, which you know, Forbidden Planet could sustain itself without them. But it doesn't it doesn't really help that if, you know, a full quarter of your business is in a failing market. So but then we carry we de- help develop the, the graphic novel format, uh, that, you know, all these mass market stores are saying, Well, I didn't even know that we could sell these things, you know? So I, I kinda take a lot of pride in that, you know, where Forbidden Planet lost its focus on, on comic books in particular and then became more of a perennial seller graphic novel retailer starting in the 90s and then onward. Um, I find that, you know, while science fiction has ebbed and flowed, especially, you know, uh, in terms of sales and in terms of quality of new material, you know, how it takes a lot of good new material to keep um, a bookstore or a book section going. And, you know, so while the science fiction side and the fantasy side of this store has you know, changed uh, throughout the years, I find that, you know, uh, the number of... of uh, Regular, you know, graphic novels and manga. That, that the quality control is, is completely up. I mean, there's so many, so many great things to buy and read and collect in terms of that. So fiscally, it, it does phenomenally. But it would be nice to see a return to you know better science fiction and stuff like that. You know, we'd go that direction if if you know all the amazing things that have ever been written were in print, or if you know the current editorial standards were slightly, you know, better. <laughs> well, tell me, who out there do you like in terms of uh, manga publishers? I, I, one publisher out of New York that I really like a lot is uh, Vertical. 
Vertical is fantastic. I love Vertical. I, I love the fact that they're publishing every uh, everything under the sun that is an Astro Boy by Tezuka. I'm, I'm a, such a big Tezuka fan. I uh, recently released uh, Apollo's song. is one of the most beautiful books I've seen in forever. I like Vertical a lot. I mean, we we and the Tokyo Pop uh, were, were uh, really, really, really big together. Uh, we were very, very much uh, associated with Tokyo Pop when they started helping bring manga into the cultural forefront. And now, you know, Viz is another uh, publisher. They publish the Shonen Jump titles and just hundreds of best-selling manga. They, they've turned into our number one selling manga uh, publisher. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we also do a couple little deals for, for their lines because we know we're going to sell the books. We want to sell them in mass bulk. So we've we've you know done a couple of discounted deals where you buy like three of their books and we give you a slight break, so that helps a lot too. But um, you know I think the most interesting one of the more interesting publishers of manga to an extent would be uh, Drawn and Quarterly Publishing. Drawn and Quarterly is a very interesting publisher because you know they've published such eclectic um, graphic novelists throughout the years. You know Seth and Major and Tomine and um, you know uh, Joe Matt. Chester Brown, and now um, they're publishing uh, uh, Yoshihiro Tatsumi, who is, you know, like Tezuka, this kind of 60s great of independent manga, and now they're publishing his stuff. I mean, any American publisher, like DC Comics, they have a, a manga line. Um, it's great that Drawn and Quarterly is picking up something that needs to be in print. You know, you, like any good... Um, publisher or any good industry really science fiction as well uh, pertains to this is that you need to have the roots around for people to understand you know like you need to have dune out there you need to have stranger in a strange land on the shelf because those are the gateways and those are where you where your genre came from you know and there's actually uh i know that uh i believe random house is reprinting a lot of the classic frank herbert novels in a really nice trade paperback format yeah yeah and uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting, too, is that uh, Pantheon, a subsidiary of uh, uh, Random House, has, has quite a, a, a strong graphic novel line with uh, Charles Burns. Well, uh, that's mostly in part to, to Chip Kidd, too, who's a, a, oh, yes. an editor there, who knows his stuff. You know, that's the thing. Like, if it, you know, that's, it kind of goes back to what, what we were talking about a little bit about uh, keeping people who know the stuff and love the stuff, and can be infect, uh, infectious about that, keeping them in the industry. Because Chip, you know, he loves the material, he knows the material, and he has an eye for it. So, they, you know, they, uh, Pantheon then pulls in a whole bunch of terrific, you know, comic artists who have been out forever, and then, you know, penetrate a mass market uh, with Black Hole. I mean, who thought Black Hole would be put out by a major publisher? I'm not that fan of graphics as a major. Uh, they published it in single-issue form throughout the years, but like a major mass-market uh, publisher. I think that's terrific. I, they're beautiful additions, too. Pantheon puts out some really great stuff. Oh, I, I totally agree. One thing I, I wanted to, to ask you about is the ancillary material, the toys, the games, the the, the models, and, the, and all that stuff. I know when I talked to uh, Del Howison over at Dark Delicacies in the on the other side of the uh, uh, country, uh, he told me that that's one of the things that keeps him as a you know a horror-only bookstore really going. Does that work for you as well? Um, it does. I think it's it's um, they're two different audiences. You know, the funny thing is that the people who buy the science fiction books rarely buy the science fiction toys. 
um, I find that the, there's there's two different customers in that regard. Sometimes you know you get somebody who buy one of each, but that's that's rarer than you would you would think in here. We do have a very uh, very 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 large customer base for the other material. You know, but there's so much. You know, you can, we can say we have a good role playing game base. That you know, our toy department has devotees that have been around since you know the early '80s. So uh, it. I don't know if it keeps us in business. I think it's it's a little bit of both. I can see his story with a with a horror focus, and it's very hard to focus on that small a genre inside a genre. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then stay in business. I didn't know that. I know that he could say that easily because the amount of horror toys being made right now. I mean, there's there's toys coming out for every major franchise of you know horror movie ever made. There are. Um, and nice ones too. I mean, really nice there are ones. beautiful stuff out there. I mean, but, assuming you have a shelf space and a tolerant spouse, you can, <laughs> you can fill up your shelves pretty easily. And same with science fiction as well. well we have uh, uh, friends of ours, uh, uh, friends of mine rather. Um, they live together. They actually share their their passion. I think when you can find um, somebody who actually really digs your love of toys. And that's the defining thing about, the, like, uh, you know, you're going to have to put up with my toy collection as well. And they say, that's great, great with me. That's where, that's where the connection should be kept. That, that's, a good, that's a keeper relationship. Um, but there is, you do need shelf space for this stuff, and just like a store, you know. Um, they do take up a lot of space. Toys take up a lot of our overstock, a lot of our uh, retail space as well. But, you know, for, as a business, they have a nice high price point. People like them, and the quality is the best it's ever been. Uh, Jeff, tell me about your website. Our website right now is more of like a, a directory to what's in the store at a given time. You know, we put up a bunch of toys. We put up a bunch of really nice-looking books and stuff like that that we actually have in stock. Um, we have been selling a little bit of e-commerce on the website. We're, we're really moving into a much, much larger forum uh, right now behind the scenes. But the website that's currently up, I, I like it a lot. It's it's you know it's got a lot of nice interactivity. You know we have our little blog on there that we do talk about the material in some depth, and it's nice that we can actually just not just use publishers solicitations and saying this is what this is, this is what this is, this was what you know. It's just like it's like going to the store. You know it has a certain flavor and it has a certain um, uh, panache that I like. You know we not just be a stale e-commerce site like an Amazon. You would like this book because, you know, we'd like to have a little, jazz it up a little bit better than that. And you are moving into e-commerce, though. We are moving into big-time e-commerce. That's a, uh, another beast altogether. Another beast altogether. You know, because, you know, any kind of functionality on, a web, on our website the last couple of years has really been, you know, people know this store. On, we get hits on, from seven continents, you know, from wow. Antarctica we've mm-hmm. gotten hits from. <laughs> um, so it, it, that, that's... Mind-boggling to me, but not to not so much when I when I you know I'm in the store and a customer from you know New Zealand or a customer from New Guinea comes in. They said they haven't been in this place since in three years or four years, you know, ten years. They actually you know there are tourists who make New York sojourns who make this a regular stop, you know. So we are trying to uh, talk to seven continents worth of people and just say, hey, if you're ever in New York, you got to come here, you know. And that's really the focus of it right now. But further on, you know, we might be just end up mailing stuff to Antarctica, which would be wild. I imagine so. We've been speaking with Jeff Ayers. He's the manager of Forbidden Planet New York City. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. 
Thank you so much for having me again, and uh, I hope uh, I hope you look to the stars and keep on rocking. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.